welcome to the reading of the Sioux City Journal for January 13th and 14th. I'll start with the five-day forecast for the area, and it does look like it's going to be Tuesday before we give, get above zero. So for today, it's still bitterly cold with a high of minus 10 and a low of minus 20. And the on Monday, it's going to be frigid, breezy in the afternoon with a high of minus 4 and a low of minus 8. Tuesday, it will get above zero according to the prediction. Uh, there will be some sunshine with a high of 11 and a low of minus 6. Wednesday will be increasing clouds and cold with a high of 17 and a low of 6. Then on Thursday, there will be snow and ice in the morning with a high of 11 and a low of minus 3. We'll begin our, our articles with a couple of concerning the weather. The first one, um, the folks at the warming shelter in Sioux City are making sure everyone has a safe, warm place to stay as brutally cold temperatures rolled into the tri-state area. Shayla Moore, executive director of the warming shelter in downtown Sioux City, said the facility was pretty packed full. We don't technically have a number where we say that we are at capacity. I would say that if there was a number, we're pretty close. We are fitting in as many people as we can in our day shelter. All of our bunks are full. All of our family rooms are full. Last night's numbers, we were close to 150 people staying with us. The shelter has been working with local partners to get food for those staying. It is not common for the shelter to provide meals since it has no kitchen. When it is this cold, we work with our board and get churches to help us come up with the money to get some meals provided when we know that our folks won't be able to comfortably or safely make it to the soup kitchen, Moore said. The Gospel Mission had some extra food they donated Friday night to feed the crowd. Moore said food has been procured for dinners on Saturday and Sunday. We're actually been very lucky. Saturday morning, the staff was pitching in to get some things together for breakfast and lunch. They know that our folks just can't make it wherever they need to go to get food. Whiteout conditions on Saturday made travel dangerous around Siouxland. Travel should be restricted to emergencies only, the National Weather Service said in a statement. If you must travel, have a winter survival kit with you. If you get stranded, stay with your vehicle. Winds gusting to 43 miles per hour made the temperatures of minus 9 feel like minus 39 on Saturday. The National Weather Service forecasts patchy, blowing snow for Sunday with highs near nine, minus 9 and lows around minus 13. With winds out of the west-northwest at 10 to 20 miles per hour, the wind chill will be minus 43. A blizzard warning for most of Siouxland was set to expire at midnight on Sunday. A wind chill warning will remain in effect until noon Tuesday, according to the National Weather Service. A blizzard warning was issued by the National Weather Service for the southeastern and south-central portions of South Dakota, and a winter weather advisory has been issued for the majority of the state. The shelter is seeing that people stay safe in this cold. Moore said, we let anybody and everybody in, even people that have been restricted from the shelter. We do still prioritize safety and we have zero tolerance for any unsafe behaviors. 
We want them to be safe. We don't want their safety or their life to be in jeopardy. Most of the time, those folks that have been restricted, they come in and usually we see pretty low-key decent behaviors and they are able to stay the amount of time necessary to get through this serious cold. More praise for staff for stepping up in this emergency. Our staff is absolutely incredible. This is the best staff that we've had ever since I started at the shelter as a part-time staff member five years ago. And there are volunteers for, with four-wheel drive vehicles willing to go pick up staff members who don't feel comfortable driving to work in these hazardous conditions. Our staff has been showing up. They've been trudging their way through the snow. They are just the greatest, most wonderful people that we could ever ask for to be in these roles because they really, truly care. And they are making sure we are able to keep running even in these terrible conditions, Moore said. The deep freeze is expected to continue through at least Monday. Monday's high is predicted to hit minus four. Many churches, especially those outside of the Sioux City Metro, cancel Sunday services due to extreme weather conditions. Dangerously cold wind chills can cause frostbite on exposed skin in as little as 10 minutes, according to the National Weather Service. And our next one is delayed cone park tubing start costs the city. Sioux City Parks and Recreation Department staff were working around the clock making snow in order to finally get the snow tube tubing hill up at Cone Park for the seventh winter season. Mild weather in late December delayed the opening of the main tubing hill and Blue Bunny Hill, a shorter hill designed for people of all ages until January 5th. This week, a winter storm dumped more than a foot of the white stuff on the city. With the weekend forecast calling for sub-zero temperatures and gusts as high as 35 miles per hour, producing wind chills in excess of minus 30 degrees at times, the city canceled Saturday's 9 to 11 uh, p.m. tubing session. The tubing hill at 3800 Line Drive also will be closed all day Sunday. The balmy late December temperatures negatively impacted Cone Park's annual revenue. Recreation Superintendent John Byrne said Christmas break typically represents a good amount of seasonal revenue for the park. From December 1st, 2022 to January 1st, 2023, the park brought in $72,850.02, which was roughly 21% of its total revenue for the 22-23 season. Since its opening in 2017, total revenue over that month-long period was between $29,000 and $93,000. The Parks and Recreation Department's goal was to have the main tubing hill at the park open to the public for Christmas break, weather permitting. But last month, Mother Nature just did not permit it. The temperatures need to be roughly 26 degrees in order for Parks and Rec staff to make snow. On average, the main tubing hill has 3 feet of snow over its slope and 10 to 15 feet at the bottom of the hill. Since Cone Park's inaugural opening in December of 2017, the tubing hill has otherwise been operational for the season by December 23rd at the latest. Last year, the park had record attendance, 29,059 visitors, as well as record revenue, $346,003. Admission fees for the three-hour tubing sessions increased this season for the first time in Cone Park's history after the City Council approved a $3 increase per session. Operating expenses at the park have increased as infrastructure at the park, which opened in 2017. With this ticket price increase, we are still optimistic that we will still have a positive financial picture this winter, Burns said.
Tubers now pay $15 per session for all but one session on weekends. From 6 to 9 p.m. on Sundays, the rate is reduced to $10. The park is closed Monday through Thursday. Reduced rates for low-income families continue to be offered. City officials justify the rate hike by saying the higher fee puts Cone Park's admission in line with what other parks in the Midwest charge for snow tubing. Cone Park's competitors, which include Great Bear Ski Valley in Sioux Falls, Seven Oaks Recreation in Boone, and Mount Cato in Mankato, Minnesota, charge between $16 and $25 for two-hour tubing sessions, according to Burns. Cone Park was awarded the Outstanding Attraction Honor from the Iowa Tourism Bureau and Travel Federation of Iowa in 2019. In addition to the main tubing hill and smaller Blue Bunny Hill, visitors can also skate on a refrigerated 5,400 square foot ice skating rink and warm up around the fire pit and in the park stay lodge with a cup of hot chocolate and some snacks. Summer tubing made its debut at Cone Park in June of 2022. Two lanes of plastic type track on the main hill, which act like snow, are installed on the hill at the beginning of the summer season and removed before snowmaking begins. The park will become a destination for mountain biking when 10.5 miles of sustainably constructed single track shared use and bike only trails are completed at Cone Park next spring. The Parks and Recreation Department broke ground on the nearly $3 million project in August. And our next story headline is Snowstorm Keeps Plow Drivers Busy. The winter storm that rocked Sioux City this week produced a steady stream of customers at the Baumgart store at 5901 Gordon Drive. Ever since over a foot of snow blanketed the city Monday through Tuesday, the store has sold 50 snowblowers, store manager Brian Junk said. We were down to the last three we got in yesterday, Junk said Friday afternoon. As fast as we can put them together, they go out the door. People tell us we're the only ones around that have them in stock. Blowers, shovels, scrapers, and other snow-moving equipment continue to be in high demand after yet another major storm moved into the region Friday, dumping several more inches and creating bitter cold temps and life-threatening wind chills. The National Weather Service issued a blizzard warning for most of the tri-state region that is scheduled to remain until midnight Saturday. With wind gusts making temperatures seem as cold as 45 degrees below zero, the National Weather Service also issued a wind chill warning through noon Tuesday. Travel was not advised in most areas Friday, as snow-clogged roads and whiteout conditions stalled motorists. All westbound highways from South Sioux City shut down, as the Dakota County Sheriff's Office declared Highway 20 to Jackson, Highway 35 to Dakota City, and Highway 12 from Willis to Ponca impassable. In Sioux City, crews worked around the clock, keeping the city's major thoroughfares cleared. With more snow falling and winds blowing, city crews concentrated on plowing the priority streets used by ambulances and other emergency vehicles and city transit buses, as well as dialysis patients, said Patrick Simons, the city's field services manager. It's just a battle to keep those passable at this point, Simons said Friday afternoon. After the latest storm subsides, crews will turn again to clearing secondary streets. This week, the city, which has over 700 miles of paved streets, not counting alleys, has deployed all 41 pieces of its snow removal equipment, which includes five trucks with blades and six loaders. City staff have been working 12-hour shifts seven days a week. 
Simons noted that some staff have volunteered to work 16-hour days. These individuals are working their tails off to make sure the roads are passable as possible with, with the conditions that we have, he said. 41 accidents had been reported on city roadways since the first storm moved in on Monday, Sergeant Tom Gill said. The crashes include eight as of around 2 p.m. Friday, 17 on Thursday, and 15 on January 10th. No injuries have been reported. The police department also tagged 53 snowbound vehicles since the storm hit, Gill said. As of Friday, 14 had been towed. Mayor Bob Scott declared a snow emergency that began Friday. No sooner had the first emergency order expired at 6 a.m. Tuesday, the mayor issued another that took effect at 5 p.m. Friday. The snow emergencies prohibit parking or leaving a vehicle unattended on emergency snow routes designated by blue and white sign with a snowflake. It also encourages residents to remove vehicles from all other streets to help plows clear the streets. It also requires motorists to park on the odd side of non-emergency routes on odd days and on even side of the street on even days. Additional snow accumulations of 6 to 11 inches were possible in some parts of the region Friday extending into Saturday. Gusts of up to 50 miles per hour were expected to reduce visibilities on roads to a quarter mile at times. The storm shut down a number of local businesses and government offices. Area schools canceled classes Friday as well as after school activities, including scores of high school basketball games and wrestling tournaments this weekend. Southern Hills Mall closed due to the severe weather. Grocery stores and many other retailers with essential services remained open. The Gordon Drive bomb course maintained its regular hours throughout the storms this week. The staff worked overtime to keep in stock cold weather products from shovels and ice melt to boots and gloves to feed for pets and livestock. I'm spending the night here, junk, the store manager said. We're shorthanded, but we're busy and it's kind of fun on days like this. Weather cancels in-person campaign events. More in-person campaign events have succumbed to the brutal winter weather slamming northwest Iowa. Friday evening, the campaign for former President Donald Trump canceled its in-person events for Sioux City and Cherokee in the final weekend before the 2024 Iowa GOP presidential caucuses. Out of abundance of caution amid severe weather advisory, Team Trump is announcing an adjusted schedule for this weekend ahead of the Iowa caucus on Monday, January 15th, the campaign said. Previously, Trump was scheduled to appear at the Orpheum Theater in Sioux City at 6 p.m. Saturday. Then Sunday, Trump had a commit to caucus rally set for 4 p.m. Sunday at the Little Sioux Event Center in Cherokee. The campaign sent out advisory saying that there will be a 7 p.m. Saturday tele-rally featuring Trump and Iowa Attorney General Brenna Byrd. On Sunday, Trump will now make an in-person stop at Simpson College in Indianola and hold a 5 p.m. tele-rally with Iowa Representative Bobby Kaufman, who is a Republican from Wilton. Our volunteer grassroots team is as mobilized as ever and ready to bring home an historic win for President Trump on Monday, January 15th, the campaign said. Nothing will keep our people from showing up to caucus for President Trump. Monday, the day of the caucuses, which are expected to be the coldest since the modern format began in 1972, the Trump team has a noon tele-rally as well as a 1 p.m. visit to Ankeny and a 1 p.m. meet and greet in Fort Dodge. The Ankeny appearance is billed as a MAGA event, while the latter is a Team Trump Iowa campaign. 
Thursday evening, the campaign for former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley canceled an in-person event set for 2.30 p.m. Friday at the Wells Visitor Center and Ice Cream Parlor in Lamar's and rescheduled it with a telephone town hall, which allowed people to call in and hear from the candidate. During the discussion, Haley heard questions about the use of eminent domain for carbon capture pipelines. She called herself a fighter of eminent domain. A future pandemic response, Haley suggested getting the U.S. out of the World Health Organization and student loan forgiveness. She opposes the idea. Trump and Haley weren't the only candidates who had to reschedule because of the severe snow and blustery winds. The Never Back Down Super PAC, which supports Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, postponed a pair of Friday morning stops in Clear Lake and Marshalltown because of the weather conditions. DeSantis was able to make it to Lamar's Thursday afternoon and joked to a crowd of about 50 people that he left his winter coat back in Florida. Earlier in the week, Haley had to cancel a Monday stop in Sioux City because of the single-day record-breaking snow scene then. The campaign for Ohio businessman Vivek Ramaswamy criticized Haley for the cancelization, but later had to drop a Tuesday morning event saying it was effectively impossible to safely get from Des Moines to Coralville. Trump last stumped in Northwest Iowa on Friday, January 5th, when he said of the shooting in Perry, Iowa, we have to get over it, we have to move forward. The shooting left two dead, including the 17-year-old shooter, and seven others injured. Throughout the speech, Trump repeatedly urged attendees to go and caucus and said it showed strength. The National Weather Service forecast for caucus night in Sioux City calls for mostly clear skies with a low around 13 degrees. Sioux City Public Schools approve revised book review policy. More than seven months after Iowa lawmakers enacted a new law that bans school books and curriculum with depictions of sex acts, the Sioux City School Board has finalized a series of revisions to district policies that govern library and instructional materials. The school board on Monday approved the final reading of the revised policies, which guide how the district chooses books and instructional materials and the process of reviewing and removing them. In January 2023, Local school officials reviewed existing policies and created new ones, which were approved by the board a month later. The policies went before the board again in July and August due to the legislation changes, but were tabled due to new rules and guidance being released. In May, Governor Kim Reynolds signed Iowa Senate File 496, which included the ban on sexually explicit books and other materials, as well as restrictions in Iowa schools regarding gender identity instruction. The district's board policy committee meets once a month and is in charge of reviewing policies and discussing them before they move forward to board approval. The library policies were not able to be placed on the policy committee meeting agenda until November. The policies govern instructional materials, library programs, library materials, and the consideration of library materials. The di district has other policies in place relating to the selection of library materials and the removal of media center materials. A federal judge last month temporarily halted the implementation of most elements of Senate File 496, suggesting it violates First Amendment projections. Sioux City Public Schools Superintendent Rod Erlingwine said the ruling does not impact the policies the district is putting into place. Selection of instructional materials. 
The new selection of instructional materials policy gives the school board sole discretion to approve instructional materials for the district. The board delegates the responsibilities to, to the superintendent or their designate to determine what instructional materials will be utilized in the district. A new section of the policy requires that designee to provide the school board with a recommendation for textbooks to be used in the district. The board will then make the final decision. Another new addition to the policy requires all educational materials gifted to the district to meet the district's criteria. Inspection of instructional materials. District policy now allows parents, guardians, and other residents of the district to view instructional materials used by students. The materials include teachers' manuals, digital resources, video clips, instructional software, and other supplementary materials. And then objection to instructional materials. A new section of the policy was added to allow parents, guardians of students, to subject to object to instructional materials. The policy allows the superintendent to develop policies surrounding the reconsideration of instructional materials. Parents of the district may request that their students not access certain instructional materials. The objection must be made in writing to the superintendent. And then uh, about library materials. The district's policy on selecting library materials was approved in January and was not affected by the new law change. District's policy states library materials should be chosen for their strengths rather than rejected for their weaknesses, be chosen to enrich and support the curriculum and the educational, emotional, personal, and recreational needs of the users, be evaluated for standards of quality in literary, artistic, and aesthetic quality, technical aspects, and physical format, be appropriate for the range of age, emotional development, ability level, learning styles, and social development of students. Represent differing viewpoints of controversial issues so that users may be motivated to engage in critical analysis of such issues, to explore their own beliefs, attitudes, and behavior, and to make intelligent judgments in their everyday lives. Provide a global perspective and promote diversity by including materials by authors and illustrators of all cultures. Incorporate current, accurate and authentic factual content from authoritative sources. Provide students with the ability, opportunity to investigate, analyze, and evaluate social issues from multiple perspectives. The district has a policy outlining the expectations and goals of library programs throughout the district. This policy was first created in 1989 and has been revised many times over the years. Two new additions were added to the library goals in this revision to provide only age-appropriate materials and to support the student achievement goals of the total school curriculum. The district also added a new section regarding library materials that state the district will publish a list of all books available to students on the district's website. And then about the removal of library materials. Library materials can only be removed from the district upon a discretionary removal by a teacher librarian, upon the decision of a re reconsideration committee, upon formal action of the board when a reconsideration committee decision is appealed, or upon formal action of the State Board of Education when a board decision is appealed. The new policy added the ability for teacher librarians to remove books from the library. If parents or guardians want books removed from the library completely, they can file a form challenging the materials. A reconsideration committee will be formed to review the materials and then meet to discuss the material and complaint. 
The committee would be comprised of the Director of, Director of Curriculum Instruction and Assessment, the Director of Elementary or Secondary Education, depending on what level the challenge material is, one district level instructional director, one building administrator other than the building administrator who received the complaint, one teacher librarian, one parent or guardian to, uh, of an enrolled student, and one student. At the open public meeting, the committee will listen to the complaint as well as the opinions of others, determine the appropriateness of the material and whether to keep the material, remove the material, or limit its use. This policy was not impacted by the law change. All district policies guiding library and instructional materials can be found on the Sioux City Schools website. DORT raises $103 million, exceeds fundraising goal. DORT University announced this week that it has raised more than $103 million in its planting for the future capital campaign, exceeding their goal of $90 million. More than 6,000 donors gave money to DORT for the campaign. In a news release, DORT called it the most successful campaign in the school's 68-year history. The Planting for the Future campaign has a three-pronged set of goals for the Christian University, which have been dubbed increasing access by making the school more affordable, living and learning in Christian community, which entails replacing and renovating aging DORT facilities, and leading in innovative programs, expanding DORT's academic programs like nursing. Donors have given more than $24.2 million for DORT scholarships as part of the increase in access portion of the campaign, according to the news release. The campaign helped to finance DORT's new dining commons, Ground was broken this fall, and the expansion of the of Doors B.J. Hahn Auditorium. Weather suspends garbage collection in Sioux City, South Sioux City. Gill Hauling has suspended garbage and recycling collection for the remainder of the week in Sioux City and South Sioux City due to weather and road conditions. A winter storm warning and snow emergency went into effect on Thursday in anticipation of more snowfall. Regular trash collection in both cities will resume on Monday. Removing trucks from the icy road is for the safety of residents, personal property, and guilt hauling personnel, the City of Sioux City said in a statement released Friday. In the statement, South Sioux City instructed residents to put their trash out on their normal day beginning Monday. The garbage company is wanting residents to know that if you have more trash than what fits into your trash because of the delay, you can put it in a tied bag next to your can, the City of South Sioux City said. Sioux City statement said bag garbage that will not fit in containers may be placed next to the containers for collection on the regular pickup day. Bins located in alleyways can be labeled with your address and moved to the nearest road for pickup. Guild hauling will collect recycling for all customers citywide in Sioux City from January 15 to 19th on your scheduled trash ray regardless of recycle schedule in an attempt to collect all missed recycling. Christmas trees may be placed roadside in Sioux City until January 19th on your regularly scheduled trash collection day for pickup. Bag trash, recycling, and Christmas trees may be hauled to the Citizens Convenience Center on 28th Street on Saturday from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. free of charge. Sioux City residents can contact Guild Hauling at 712-279-0151 or Sioux City Environmental Services at 712-279-6222 regarding bins that are not emptied within 48 hours of the regular schedule uh, collection. And now um, the Sioux City MLK Day event rescheduled. 
organizers for Sioux City's Martin Luther King Jr. birthday celebration will now have to wait a week to pay tribute to the civil rights icon. Due to the ongoing severe winter weather, event planner Sandra Pearson said the celebration would be moved to 6 p.m. Sunday, January 21st at First Congregational United Church of Christ, 4600 Hamilton Boulevard. Choir rehearsal is set for 4.30 p.m. The recognition of the Nobel Peace Prize winner was already rescheduled because of the 2024 Iowa caucuses falling on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is a federal holiday in the United States. When Governor Kim Reynolds declared Monday, January 15th would be the night of the Iowa caucuses, we had to readjust our schedule, Pearson told the journal. The theme of the 2024 celebration is Living the Dream, It Starts With Me, Spread Hope, Courage, and Unity. The Honorable Robert Tiefenthaler, the first black judge for Iowa's 3rd Judicial District, will offer the keynote speech. Art Exhibit opens next week at Wayne State. Visiting artist Sophie Isaac's exhibit, The Person I Am on Vacation, opens at 4.30 p.m. Wednesday, January 17th in Wayne State College's Nordstrom Visual Arts Gallery, located on the main level of the U.S. Con Library. The artists will give a lecture at 3.45 p.m. in Gardner Auditorium the day of the opening, and both events are free and open to the public, Wayne State said in a press release. The exhibit runs through March 20th. Isaac's complex compositions integrate printmaking, drawing, and painting, according to the press release. Isaac is assistant professor of printmaking at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Her artwork has been featured in Ohio, Iowa, New York, Illinois, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Hawaii, and Vermont. And then Hospice artists work on display at Northwestern. Artwork by Northwest Iowa artist Lisa Lane Johnson is on display in Northwestern College's Topaski Gallery through February 29th. The exhibit, Bridging Reality, features acrylic paintings that move from realism to the abstract, usually incorporating elements of both, according to a press release from Northwestern. Her graphic drawings embrace the absurd, she said in the press release, using elements of realism to illustrate a strange sort of parallel universe. Lane Johnson has a home studio on the Johnson Family Century Farm near Hospers, Iowa. She shows her work at the Blue Monkey Gallery in Archer, Iowa, and also helps operate the Cooperative Gallery, which is housed in a historic former bank building. Her artwork is also in private collections and locations that range from Norway, New York, and Florida to Nebraska and Iowa. You are listening to the reading of the Sioux City Journal on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. We'll now turn to do the obituaries. Ralph David Chin, Ralphie, 93, of Correctionville, proud United States Army veteran, passed away peacefully January 9th at Good Samaritan Society Nursing Home in Holstein, Iowa. Visitation is 12 p.m. until the 2 p.m. service on Friday, January 12th at the Road Funeral Home in Kingsley. Burial will follow with military honors at Greenwood Cemetery in Pearson. A true country boy at heart, Ralph would often be seen in his polished western boots and hat. He enjoyed his youth on the farms, helping with shearing sheep, filling the hay barn, tending to the black Angus and brown Swiss calves, and riding horses to town. Ralph served in the United States Army as a staff sergeant from November 23, 1948 to June 25, 1952. 
Trained at Fort Riley, Kansas, and stationed in Fussen, Germany, he went on to Merrill Barracks, formerly Hitler's SS in Nuremberg, which had been captured by American soldiers in th three years earlier. Ralph was in the 70th Field Artillery. The name was changed to 7th Army before he left the service. The patch he wore on his shoulder said Seven Steps to Hell. In Germany, he trained at a mechanic school in Kitzigen before heading to Munich for the NCO Academy Motor Sergeant training. March of 2023, Chin received recognition from the Harrison Ford American Legion Post 291 in Pearson for being a member for 71 years. Ralph was a proud semi-truck driver for over 60 years, 20 of which was self-employed. He drove for the Pearson Elevator, Ray Putman, Getch Trucking, Davis Brothers, Marks Trucking, and lastly, the Sea Bloom Boys. He drove his last load in February of 2016 at the young age of 85. He enjoyed boating, dancing, fishing, and working on his many vehicles. Ralph was a self-sufficient man who loved deeply. He was dependable as the sunrise in everything that he did. Some called him an energizer bunny. He never said no and was always ready to work or give a helping hand. His approach to life was simple, love others and treat them with respect. Francis G. Hammond, Kingsley, Iowa, 90, died Tuesday, January 9th at home. Funeral services will be at 11 a.m. Monday, January 15th at St. Michael Catholic Church in Kingsley. Burial at St. Michael Catholic Cemetery. Visitation will be 9 a.m. Monday at the St. Michael Catholic Church before the service. Road Funeral Home Kingsley in charge of arrangements. We'll now move to the opinion page and we'll begin with the journal editorial, um, which is headlined, DeSantis represents best choice for GOP. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis represents the Republic's best shot at regaining the White House. We say this after a presidential campaign that has made Iowa like a second home for GOP presidential candidates. Try to name those who were in the mix early on. You, you will see how long the race has been. Through it all, DeSantis and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley have made the most compelling cases to choose someone other than former President Donald Trump for the job. We realize the former president has a big following, including in Northwest Iowa, but there's too much baggage, too many uncertainties to consider a second Trump term. Haley, who as a former United Nations ambassador was part of the White House, told us about his cavalier way of making decisions. Even though campaign ads taught his desire to build a wall, Trump had the opportunity and did not finish the job. He also had countless legal problems, which are major distractions. As challengers like to point out, we don't need more chaos in government. A second Trump era would ensure it. That leaves Ohio businessman Vivek Wamaswamy, the Reverend Ryan Binkley, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, DeSantis and Haley, all who have met with members of our editorial board. While Hutchinson and Binkley have been good warriors in the fight, they don't have the support to make a dent in the big three. Wamaswamy doesn't either, but he's a tireless campaigner, suggesting a run for Congress might be a better future to the White House. That leaves DeSantis and Haley as the two candidates most likely to win. Haley is more moderate. DeSantis supports many of the same policies as Trump. Haley likely would be a good choice to court Democrats or independent voters. DeSantis is a better choice to corral former Trump voters willing to leave the fold. 
but this is the Republican caucus, not the general election. From that vantage point, we believe DeSantis is most in line with Iowa Republicans. He has the endorsement of Governor Kim Reynolds and shares her views about education, abortion, and border security. Haley has softer stands on those issues, ones that likely would play better with Democrats. If she faced Joe Biden in the fall, she would give them a reason to think twice about a second term. DeSantis plays the Republican cards. He was practically embedded in Iowa, pulling off the full Grassley, as did Ramaswamy and Binkley, and heard those Republicans and their concerns. He appeals to disillusioned Trump supporters and gives them answers they seek. There are questions whether DeSantis will pull in a large enough swath of independents or play well in other early nominating states after Iowa. Who wins the caucuses? Based on the polls, the smart money is still on Trump dominating Monday night, but political tea leaves suggest DeSantis could pull a surprise. His campaign touts a strong ground game that could get committed voters to precinct sites, which could prove invaluable with the double-digit windshields forecast for Monday night. If Iowans want to send a message to fellow Republicans across the country, they need to get behind Ron DeSantis. He speaks their language. A DeSantis-Haley ticket may not materialize, but it has the greatest chance for denying Biden a second term. The Journal Editorial Board endorses Ron DeSantis in his bid for the presidency. Uh, we now move to the um, letters to the editor, and the first one is written by Susan Stewart, who is the Woodbury County Republican Central Committee co-chair. And she writes, I want to be sure people know where to caucus on Monday, January 15th. It is not necessarily where you vote. For example, if you vote at East High, you might caucus at uh, Western Iowa Tech Cargill Auditorium if you live in the Whispering Creek area, Precinct 28. Or if you live by the mall or south of it, you caucus at the Morningside Assembly of God Church. The best way to find out where to caucus is by determining what precinct you're in first and then checking iowagop.org. The huge number of Republicans in our county caused us to use a variety of locations. Please check carefully before you set out on Monday night. And then our next letter is written by Doug Kobernick uh, from Lincoln, Nebraska. On Saturday, South Sioux City Schools was scheduled to honor Kelly Flynn, former coach and teacher, by placing him in their Hall of Fame. The ceremony was postponed due to a winter storm. It is a well-deserved honor for someone who has given so much not only to his players and students, but also to his community. Kelly had unparalleled success as a basketball coach when looking at wins and losses, but for most coaches, it is so much more than that, and he showed that throughout his career. I witnessed the last game he coached, and even at the end of his, this district loss, he was showing enthusiasm, encouragement, and excitement. At the end of the game, a bench player scored a basket, and you would have thought that Coach Flynn had won another state championship when he celebrated her achievement. I think that says it all. Congratulations to Coach Flynn for this honor and a big thank you to all the teachers and coaches who impact our young people each and every day. And again, this was written by Doug Kobernick of Lincoln, Nebraska. And now we have a column written by one of the journal's regulars. And this week, it's Cherise Yanni of Sioux City, who is the owner and managing partner of Guarantee Roofing, Siding, and Insulation. 
She serves on the Siouxland Initiative Executive Committee, the Orpheum Theater Preservation Board, the Orpheum Theater Endowment Board, and the Iowa Department of Transportation Commission. And she writes this week. During 2023, many news stories were about artificial intelligence, or AI, concerning the good and the bad. It seems we have had more news stories about it in the last couple of years than over the years since it was founded. In 1956, a workshop funded by the Rockefeller Institute was held at Dartmouth. That's where Artificial Intelligence was founded, and it was named AI for short. The people credited with its birth are John McCarthy, Alan Turing, Marvin Minsky, Alan Newell, and Herbert Simon. The history of AI is interesting. For example, in 1969, mechanical engineering student Victor Scheinman created the Stanford Arm, recognized as the first electronic computer-controlled robotic arm, according to the Robotics Academy. Shakey was built in 1970 by the Stanford Research Institute using multiple sensor inputs, including TV cameras, laser rangefinders, and bump sensors. The progression of AI is fascinating. It has gone from a robotic arm to RoboTuna, designed to float and resemble a bluefin tuna. In 1999, Sony introduced AIBO, a robotic dog capable of interacting with humans. Honda showcased the most advanced result of its humanoid project in 2000 called ASIMO, A-S-I-M-O. It can run, walk, communicate with humans just like the robotic made Rosie on the Jetsons. My point is that AI has been with us for decades. Developer intentions have been for it to be used for the good. Some are worried that some people may not use it for the good. It may be used to be harmful to others in some manner. Last Sunday, CBS Sunday Morning posted an article concerning artificial intelligence being used by companies to add to their customer support service support due to the fact that it is difficult to keep people in that department taking inbound calls. The average length of time a person works in the position is 18 months, causing the shortage of staff and longer wait time on the phone to have somebody to talk to you about your issue. My guess is that some of you have experienced the long wait to talk to someone about your issue. More than likely, you were left hanging on the line for up to an hour or more. Unfortunately, it is not uncommon. Long waiting time can cause the customer to become more frustrated than they were before making the call and it may cause the customer to begin by yelling at the person that will try to help them. An example of AI that some large companies are or will be using, the sentiment analysis chatbots because they can have a conversation with humans, detect tone based on phrases being used. Based on the call with the customer, the company can determine how the customer feels about their product and or service. If you not have not already you will talk to AI and most likely you will not know it before you are passed off to a human. According to the HubSpot blog, costs of customer service can be reduced and improved because of the efficiency and effectiveness of the support team. Automating tedious and time-consuming customer calls, the amount of time spent by a human doing the same task is significantly reduced. Due to the fact that the bot can analyze a customer's feelings and intentions, it can identify positive, negative, and neutral language so it can route the call to an agent accurately if needed. During the handoff, if it is necessary, the bot has accurately de 
detected the sentiment. The agent then knows how to approach the caller and avoid elevating the situation and probably de-escalate the situation. If the complaint comes by email, an advanced bot can greet customers on the company's website or messaging channels as the first line of support and answer common questions. The bots can be pre-trained to understand and to answer questions specific to a particular company's products. HubSpot's AI survey says customer service professionals save around two hours a day using artificial intelligence. AI automates call centers, enhances chatbots, and makes it easier for service personnel to locate information. It's expected that additional CEOs will begin using conversational AI to manage their clients when they contact their company. It is believed that 40% of customers do not care if they talk to a human or not, as long as their questions are answered quickly. Having the ability to collect and analyze large amounts of data allows the company to better understand their customers better and faster. The end result is that the experience for their customers is positive. Most of us probably have some form of AI in our homes, from a robotic vacuum to a refrigerator or something like a robotic dog. Nevertheless, we have encountered some sort of AI. Maybe you have had surgery and a robot was used. Our smartphones and other devices are a large part of our lives. What would we do without Siri, Alexa, or Google? And again, this was an article written by Cherise Yanni. Uh, our next story, Gill running for eighth term as Woodbury County Auditor. Pat Gill announced Wednesday plans to run for his eighth term as Woodbury County Auditor, Recorder, and Commissioner of Elections. Gill, the lone elected Democratic official in Woodbury County, said it is more important than ever to have someone with experience in the office to defend the integrity of elections. In 2020, Gill defeated Barbara Parker, a Republican from Salix and former city clerk there, uh, 23,031 to 20,441 to win another four-year term. Gill was first elected in 1996. The auditor oversees budgets for all governmental entities, insurance policies and surety bonds, alcohol and tobacco licenses, and payroll. The auditor is also the clerk to the Board of Supervisors. The recorder oversees vital records, land and records management, and real estate departments. Gill said his time as commissioner of elections, the legislation has continued to put more restrictions on voting and over the last few years there have been unprecedented attacks on elections. He said, I think it's important to have someone in the office that has the experience and really cares about the integrity and working to restore that. Monona County authorities find person of interest. The Monona County Sheriff's Office located a person it was seeking Thursday in connection with an ongoing investigation. Derek Lee Meadows, 36, was arrested Thursday afternoon. Earlier in the day, the Sheriff's Office had requested the public's help in locating him. At 6 a.m. Thursday, the Sheriff's Office, with the assistance of an Iowa State Patrol tactical team, executed a search warrant at 329 East Main Street in Ute as part of an ongoing investigation. Lavelle Annette Meadows, 71, and Larry Lee Meadows, 69, both of Ute, were arrested on felony drug possession charges and an outstanding felony warrant, according to a Monona County Sheriff's Office news release. 
Man pleads not guilty of lighting Molotov cocktails. A Sioux City man has pleaded not guilty of lighting Molotov cocktails in his neighbor's yard. Quan Thatch, 35, entered his written plea Wednesday in Woodbury County District Court to four counts of possession of explosive or incendiary materials or devices and three counts of third-degree arson. Thatch is accused of carrying glass bottles containing flammable liquid and a flammable wick to his neighbor's house in the 100 block of Alice Street on at least four occasions and igniting them. According to court documents, Thatch intended to intimidate or scare his neighbors because he believed they had trespassed on and around his property. According to court documents, Thatch entered his neighbor's yard on November 5th and smashed a Molotov cocktail on the sidewalk, causing a fireball. On December 7th, Thatch ignited another bottle filled with flammable liquid and placed it on the front steps of his neighbor's home. On December 13th and again on January 4th, Thatch is accused of lighting a Molotov cocktail and leaving it in his neighbor's backyard. In each incident, there was little damage. We'll now move on to entertainment, um, Okoboji's Winter Games. When Kylie Zankowski hears weather forecasts that predict heavy snowfall and frigid cold temps around the Iowa Great Lakes region in mid-January, she cannot help but smile. You see, Zankowski is the membership and events director for the Iowa Great Lakes Area Chamber of Commerce. This means that she and a crew of volunteers and civic leaders will be responsible for the 44th annual University of Okoboji Winter Games. White stuff on the ground usually means more green stuff for businesses in Okoboji area. Zankowski said, on an annual basis, the University of Okoboji Winter Games usually brings around 30,000 people to the Iowa Great Lakes. We bring in more people during a really snowy January. That's because the Winter Games offers a great respite from the cabin fever. From January 25th to the 28th, the Winter Games, presented by the Chamber of Commerce and Grape Tree Medical Services, will offer numerous outdoor and indoor activities at various locations around the Okoboji area. The Games began as a way to attract tourists for a chilly weekend in, in January. For so long, Okoboji was considered a strictly summertime destination, Zakowski said. But our businesses were open year-round. Why not bring some excitement to the lakes during the off-season? The Winter Games began conservatively with events like snow sculpture contests, as well as offbeat sporting endeavors like broomball, which replaced hockey sticks, and puck with a broom and a ball. The initial games were very popular, Sanzowski said. We still have families who come here specifically for the broomball competitions. Several more recent events like a 5K fun run, a flag football tournament, a game of snow softball, and even a human foosball contest, which is exactly what it sounds like, have acquired their own devotees. People who prefer to spend time indoors might enjoy the chili competition, pickleball, beanbag contest, and several opportunities to listen to live music. What about the folks who want to get in touch with their inner grumpy old men? Yes, we have plenty of people who enjoy ice fishing on Lake Okoboji, Zankowski noted. I think this will be a popular year to do it. However, there is one thing that Zankowski said she'll never do at the lakes. I know people say it's exhilarating, but I'll never participate in the polar plunge, she maintained with a laugh. 
I love hearing people tell me stories about it. Still, I'm going to pass. One recent event which Zanikowski favors is the Boji Kite Festival. Started in 2020 by Steve Boot and Eagle Construction, the Kite Festival, held on the frozen waters of West Lake Okoboji, will have as many as 100 kites flying at one time. We will have people coming from Mexico, Ireland, New Zealand participating in the Kite Festival, Zankowski said. We'll even have people who've never seen snow before in their lives. That'll be quite the experience, she said, chuckling. A native of the Lakes region, Zankowski has been part of the Winter Games for the past seven years. The Winter Games have been going on for so long, she said, it has become a cherished tradition for many families. They'll come back for certain events or try their hand at something new. Either way, it's a good way to spend a winter afternoon in a very fun and unique way. When pressed for her favorite winter game event, Zankowski said it's burning of the greens, bonfire, and the subsequent fireworks extravaganza that takes place at Arnold's Parks Preservation Plaza after dark on the Saturday night. Don't get me wrong, I love fireworks displays in the summer, she said, but to see fireworks going off in the sky on the lake in January just takes it to another level. Zankowski insists she won't even mind the ice or the snow. During the winter games, snow is fine, she said. When the winter games are over, I'll be okay with a warm-up. And so if you want to go to the 44th Annual University of Okoboji Winter Games, the, there are various events between January 25th and 28th and uh, held at multiple locations on and around Lake Okoboji. And for more info, you can go uofowintergames.com. Now move to the sports section, and um, Helen hires alumnus Stolen SHC. Bishop Helan's new softball coach is hardly a stranger to the program. After completing one of the best prep careers the Crusaders have seen over the past decade, a collegiate career at Morningside University, and three seasons as Helan assistant coach and one as co-head coach alongside Chris Fitzpatrick, the program is now Stolen's, as she was tapped by her alma mater as the new head coach last week. It's pretty cool to not only get a head coaching job, but to do so at my alma mater's as Stolen. Being familiar with the background and history of Helen, I'm excited to share that with my team. While she was a player at Helen, Stolen was an All-Stater in Class 4A a five-year starter and named to the All-Missouri River Athletic Conference team four times. As a senior in 2017, she hit for 510 average with a slugging percentage of 1.069, slugging percentage with 11 home runs, 38 RBIs. At Morningside, Stolen is the program's all-time leader in home runs with 38 career round trippers and was a three-time All-Great Plains Athletic Conference selection as the Mustang shortstop. Helan Softball has qualified for the state tournament eight times, most recently in 2016. Fitzpatrick took over in 2021 and went 80-40, including an MRAC title in his first season. I want us to have that mentality that when you put on a Helan jersey, you're expected to compete at the highest level no matter what sport you are playing, Stolen said. 
When you hear Bishop Heelan, a lot of people think about athletic success. I want to bring the softball team up to that standard as well. The Crusaders went 18-20 last season and graduated three highly productive seniors in Grace Nelson, Maddie Gengler, and Mar Marin Frazzi. However, the rest of the squad stands to return for Helens in Stolen's first year at the helm. The incoming head coach said, there are a lot of girls sports at Helen that have been doing amazing, like basketball and soccer. I want the softball team to be among the top as of those as well. Among the team's top players last season with eligibility left are seniors Alessa Shorg and Nora Seeley, juniors Maddie LaFleur and Kaylee Baker, as well as a trio of freshmen that were major contributors in Aaron Fitzpatrick, McKenna Baker, and Eliana Ross. LaFleur had the highest batting average of that group after she hit 402 as a sophomore with 25 RBIs and 10 extra base hits. She also combined with Shorg to score 49 runs and steal 39 bases on 43 attempts. McKenna Baker and Seeley were two of three pitchers to throw over 55 innings last summer for Heelan, with Frazee the other. In taking over the program, Stolen will not only seek to build on the past success of the softball program, but all other athletics at Heelan, as she will be well stocked with student athletes who have produced state qualifiers for the Crusaders in virtually every other girls sport at the school. I love the multi-sport athletes we have, Stolen said. Being one at Helan, I think I was one of the first to try playing soccer and softball in the same year. So I will never shoot down a kid that wants to do anything and everything they can do. Different skills work for different sports. Everything that goes into learning everything about one sport can help with other sports. We'll now move to Dear Abby, our and I letter. Before we had children, my stepmother dropped many hints, encouraged us to have kids, and promised multiple times that she would retire when we did to help out with them. We now have a six-year-old and an 18-month-old. When we ask my father and stepmother to babysit or watch the kids, they say, we'd love to, but now is not convenient. They live seven minutes away, but have never offered to babysit. They watch the kids maybe once out of 20 times that we ask. They do drop by to see us as a family when it's convenient for them, and my children adore them. Whenever they drop by, we stop whatever we are doing to spend time with them because those relationships are important to us and our children. Culturally, it's the norm for grandparents to watch children. My grandparents watched us often as children, especially after my mother died. I ne never expected my stepmother to actually quit her job to watch our kids, but I really did anticipate more support than we received. I don't know how to express that we need more support from them than they are offering. Signed, Needy Mom in New Zealand. And the reply, you were fortunate to have a grandmother who had the time and the desire to look after you, but not all families are the same. If you are a regular Dear Abby reader, you'll likely know I often receive mail from folks complaining that they don't have enough access to their grandchildren. I'm sorry your stepmother raised your expectations and has not followed through. If you think she and your dad will change their ways, explain to them that you need their help. However, if it is not forthcoming, accept that you will have to hire a babysitter on those occasions. And that does it for today's reading of the Sioux City Journal for the weekend of January 13th and 14th. I'm Dogna, your reader today. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And thank you for listening.